At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. morning. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and this morning is my great honor uh, to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Let me begin with a question this morning. What would you do if you had unlimited resources? What would you do if you had unlimited resources? Where, where would you go are you, are you thinking about that vacation right now? Where, where would you go? Who would you take with you, if anyone, for the introverts in the room? What, what type of food would you eat? I mean, the, what if somebody handed you a card, a, a credit card, and that credit card has no limits, every purchase is always approved, and you never have to pay it back? What would you do? So, okay, so, so to put it in our vernacular, it would be like, what, what would you do if you won the lottery? You know, everybody says, well, you know, uh, we, we're going to Disneyland. I'm, I'm talking about the amount of resources you could buy Disney. Not, now, I'm talking about unlimited resources to where you would not just go to an exotic beach, but you, you have the resources to buy the country that the exotic beach is in. What would you do with unlimited resources? Now, we all know what the answer is supposed to be. We're in church this morning. Come on, y'all. We, we know what the answer is supposed to be. You would give it to charity. Uh, you would, you know, build wells for thirsty children. You would feed the hungry. Uh, you know, we're in church, so you, you would donate a bunch of money to the church, raise the pastor's salary in Jesus' name, amen. You would, right? We, we all know what the right answer is supposed to be, but seriously, Ask your heart that question this morning. What would you do with unlimited resources? What would you really actually do? I wonder what would really happen if you're taking notes. If you had unlimited resources at your disposal, the true intentions of your heart would be put on display. Listen to this. In fact, how you allocate your limited resources now does the same thing. So obviously, the only thing that unlimited resources would do would be to turn up the volume of your heart. That's all it would do. It, 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 would, it would just show even more. But what's going on is you're doing the same thing with the limited resources that you have. If you peel away the labels on our designer clothes, if you take away the expensive price tag on our cars, if you look past the zip code that we can afford to live in, what you will see is that for most people, they are trying trying to buy control. Listen to me. What most of us are trying to do with our resources is we are trying to buy control. What do I mean? Let me, let me explain what I mean. If I can control where I buy a house, then I can control what school district my kid goes to. Do you see how we buy control? 
or if I can buy this particular house in this particular neighborhood, then you can also control what type of neighbors you have around you, what their socioeconomic standing is. If I can buy this house, if I can purchase it, then that allows me to control how safe my environment is. If I can buy a car, that allows me to control where I go and how fast I get there. If I can control my food, what I purchase, that it allows me to determine whether I'm healthy or unhealthy. It's all about buying control. That's what we're trying to do with our finances, with the things that God has placed in our hands. Now, if you can pay for a computer or a cell phone, then you have crazy control on the environment around you. I mean, just imagine the amount of control purchasing a phone or a computer does, you can literally control the arrival of almost anything to your front door. I mean, Amazon will just bring it and you can control that with your phone. I mean, it's, it's insane the amount of information that we can now control because we have purchased it. We can control the information that comes to us, when it comes to us, how it comes to us. It's insane the amount of things that we are trying to control in our environment. The truth is we are trying to buy control. Mark this church family. One of the main problems, middle to upper class, suburbanized and comfortable Christians face is the illusion that ultimately we are in control. This is the problem that we face church family. I'm talking to y'all. I'm talking to me. Because, because we have the ability to control so much in our own environments, to control so much in our own lives. We fall victim to th this illusion that we actually are in control. That's why we say things like, oh, I got to get that situation under control. Or, or, or man, that was going crazy, but I mean, I came in. We're, we're getting that under control. It's something that's in our vernacular. It's something that's in our thinking. It's something that's in the way that we live, constantly trying to control and thinking that we are in control and using our resources to buy even more control over our worlds. Here's the truth, church family. We are responsible for what God has placed in our hands, but we are not in control. God, this is so important to understanding this distinction. This is a fine line distinction, is it not, between responsibility and control. You can use those words as synonyms, can't you? But there is a fine line drawn right in between them that we need to understand how God intends for us to live our lives. What God has placed in our hands, we, we don't take it and control it. We are responsible for it, but we do not control it because God is the one who is in control. If you think you are in control, then you are owed everything that you have. So people who think that they're in control, they are owed. Every, that, that's how they view their life. That's how they view their possessions. That's how they view everything that God has given them, everything that's in their hands. They're owed it because they're in control. The opposite side of that, to know that you are not in control, but responsible for what God has given you, you believe everything is a gift. Those are two different viewpoints. To believe that you're in control is to say, I'm owed everything I have. But to know that you're not in control, God's in control, you're simply responsible for what God has given you. Then you look at everything that you have as a gift. If you believe that you are in control, then you can do with your life, your possessions, and everything around you what you wish because you're in control. Instead of knowing that God is in control, we are simply responsible for what he has given us. Therefore, we turn everything to his glory. That's two different, very different 
worldview. Here's what we need to know, church family. The sovereign God of the universe is in control. He is in the driver's seat. His hand is on the steering wheel. He is commanding the universe to obey his will, and everything comes from the hand of God or through the hand of God. It makes way more sense to say, I am a wildebeest, than it does to say, I am in control. Amen? Somebody ought to tweet that. Now, what, what, we did, what we did last week, what we did last week is we began this study of Esther. We began looking at this, this insane picture. The, the picture was, was so radically insane, it, it's hard for us to even get our minds around it. What we saw was a king. Was he a good king or a bad king? A bad king, an evil king. And what he had been doing is for six months, okay, 180 days, he, he then opened it up for another week, so 187 days, he had thrown this party, a party like you have never seen before in your entire life. Thousands of people, all you can eat, all you can drink, the, the most sinful like stuff happening, all commandments broken, you name it. This was the type of party that it was. That was the scene that was set up for us in that particular picture. What we saw was wealth, power, and control. You want to talk about being able to buy control? This man, by all accounts, had the most control over everything and everyone, and he was at the height of his power with ultimate control over everything everywhere. That is the scene which we saw. Now, What's going to happen in our text today is that facade of control is going to be destroyed. How's the facade of control destroyed? Vashti says, uh-uh. She tells the king who is supposed to be and have hold ultimate control. She says, nah, I ain't coming. He says, I want you to come to the party. She says, I ain't coming to the party. She tells him to, this facade of, he thought he was in control. He thought everything that he said had to be done. He was in ultimate control, yet he is not in control of his own household. He, the, the, look at the book. It says, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. That's how much control this guy has over all of this land, all of this territory, 127 provinces, yet he's not in control in his own home. That's what we're going to see in the text today. We're going to see the illusion of control shattered because ultimately God is in control. If you're taking notes, here's my main point today. It's this. God in his grace shatters our illusions of control and works his plan according to his will for his glory and our good. God in his grace it is a grace-filled thing. It is a good thing. It is a, a, a thing that God needs to do for us to shatter our illusions of control. We're trying to control our children. We're trying to control our job. We're trying to control our spouse. We're trying to just get everything under control. And God comes in and shatters that, and it's good when he does. It is a grace-filled thing when God reminds us we are not in control. He is sitting on the throne, and he is the one whose sovereign hand is over all things everywhere. That is a good and grace-filled thing for God to do. So in our text today, we're going to see this illusion of control shattered. How is the illusion of control shattered? Vashti doesn't come to the party. Vashti refuses the king. The illusion of control is shattered. And also, 
God's sovereign hand is at work. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine that you are a, a, a Jewish person living in Persia at this time. And somebody came to you and said, hey, did you hear that, that they kicked out the queen? I mean, the queen got kicked out. Okay, so what? It wouldn't mean anything to you then. It would only mean something to you later when the decree goes out that all Jewish people should be killed, and yet the sovereign hand of God had removed Vashti and put Esther in place for such a time as this. That's the sermon. Let's, y'all want to get to the text? Here we go. That's the sermon. I already preached it, but we've got to get to the text, and I've got to show you that that's in there. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Are y'all with me this morning? Here we go. Chapter 1, starting in... Verse 10, it says this, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. 187 days, all you can drink, no regulations on how much you can drink. Now, what's interesting, uh, uh, most people agree uh, the king's drunk, okay? Uh, I mean, 187 days, I don't care how high your tolerance is, 187 days of all you can drink, you're, you're drunk. The text says that his heart was merry with wine. It doesn't technically say that he's drunk, but it's pretty safe to assume he's drunk. The reason that it's safe to assume that he is is because of how the storyteller is telling us all of this information about how excessive everything is and how crazy. So let's just work with the assumption that the king is drunk. Let's also work with this scientifically proven fact that when you are drunk, you do not make good decisions. That's a scientifically proven fact. I'm sure none of you have experienced this, but, but when you are drunk, you do not make good decision. So here's the king at the end of his 187-day party where he has celebrated himself. Here is the command, the decision that he makes. He commanded Meshuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abigtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Let's stop right there. This is how powerful this guy is. This is how much control this guy believes he has. He has seven men who are eunuchs, that, meaning that their whole life is now dedicated to him. They're not going to go get a family because they can't. Uh, they're not going to give themselves over to, to pleasure because they can't. Their whole existence is devoted to this one man. You want to talk about control? He believes he has control. Just look at the people that he has surrounding him, these seven Eunuchs. He controls every aspect of their lives. Now, he commands all seven of them. Isn't that strange? Did it really take all seven of these guys to go tell his wife to come to the party? No, but, but it's just that much excess. It's just that much uh, a symbol of status that he has. I, I, I'm sending all seven of these men who are dedicated just to me to go fetch my wife to this party. Verse 11, so all of these seven eunuchs of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now, some of the older Jewish commentators believe that this request for her to come with her royal crown is actually a request for her to come 
wearing only her royal crown. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that in the text, but the intent, his intent, is clear on why he wants her to come to the party in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. He wants to parade her to exercise his control over her in front of all of these men. This was supposed to be the grand finale. I mean, do you remember what this whole party is about? This whole party is to put on display his glory, his riches, his excellence. And so the crowning jewel in the whole party, I mean, the grand finale, is after he had showed them the golden couches, after he had showed them all the golden cups, after he had showed them how much wine he has and how much food, and all, after he had showed them all that stuff, the crowning thing was supposed to be to parade his beautiful wife in front of all of these drunk men and for them to see not how beautiful she was, but how powerful he is because he owns and controls this beautiful thing. Do you see what's happening here? Now, the question is this. Ladies in the room, should she go? <laughs> okay, that's pretty unanimous. No, but he's the king and he told her, I mean, this is a, like obey the government type thing. He's the king. What about this? He's her husband. And aren't husbands supposed to be head of their wives? And aren't they supposed to be in submission? Don't we, don't we believe that at Gospel Community Church? We are a complementarian church. We believe that men should lead the church, that men should, should lead their homes. But, church family, we also believe that wives are to never, ever go along with their husbands in sin. Wives are to never, ever, ever cover up the sin of their husbands. So what does Vashti do? Does she go to this party to be paraded and, and gawked at or possibly worse? Look at verse 12. But Queen Vashti, what does she do? Refused. No, I'm not going. I, I mean, come on. Who, of course I'm not going to go. Like, who... <laughs> Who would go to this? Who's going to say yes to this? No, I'm not going to be paraded in front of 15,000 troops and officials who are drunk. And my husband is drunk too. No, like she and Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by the eunuchs. When she refused, all the illusion of control that this man has is crushed. The facade of his power is torn down in this one instance to where he sends his officials to go do this thing, to exercise his control, and yet Vashti refuses. It's all shattered. All of his self-importance is reduced to rubble. Look at his reaction. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. This is, this is so Typical. This is so typical, church family. Don't you see what the world has to offer us is sex and pleasure and comfort. This guy has just experienced 187 days of pleasure and comfort and all that the world has to offer. And at the end of it all, is he happy, satisfied, and fulfilled? No, he's angry and enraged and empty and bitter and realizing that all of the control that he thought he had could be shattered in an instant. 
This is where he is. He ruled over 127 provinces, yet he could not gain control over his own household. Now, it's easy for us to look at this evil king and think how terrible he is. And, and I, mean, I, I mean, if we had unlimited resources like he did, we wouldn't try to exercise. We all know that we would give to charity and we would do the right thing. But church family, be grateful to God that he has not given you the resources that he gave this evil king. It is only by the grace of God has intervened in your life that you are not exactly like King Ahasuerus. It is only by the grace of God that we are not like him. All right, what's going to happen next? What's he going to do with his anger? Is he going to sober up and repent? That's what he should do, right? He, he should sober up. He should go to Queen Vashti. He should say, sweetheart, look, I, first of all, I shouldn't have been drunk. Second of all, I, I shouldn't have made this request. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure. <laughs> this is funny. He, <laughs> there's this marital issue, and what is his solution? His solution is a royal procedure. Come on, guys. Come on. We, we got to do better than this. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure towards all who were versed in the law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marcina, and Mimucan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who sat in the king's face and sat first in the kingdom, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of the king of Ahasuerus delivered to the eunuch. So instead of handling his own business, what he does is he gets some officials, not one official, not two officials, not three, not four, but seven officials to handle his marital issue. He, he gathers these men. In addition, he takes himself so seriously that he even talks in the third person. Did you see this? Did you? According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus. Do you see what's happening? His illusion of control is being shattered, and this is his reaction. His illusion of control is being shattered, and so something must be done. He believes I am in control of my world. I am in control of my universe. I have this under control. And the queen's disobedience threatens my control. Therefore, something must be done. Church family, let me just step away just for a second. And, and let me just prepare you. If you, if you did not bring steel toe shoes this morning, you're going to need them. Um, do any of these following statements describe you? Before any of them come up on the screen, several of them describe me. Do any of these describe you? I am angry or bitter when? It's already real quiet in here, y'all. <laughs> I'm angry or bitter when I am not acknowledged for my achievements or contributions. I am angry or bitter. When, didn't they see what I did? Don't they know who I am? Ooh, I can't believe they did that. Are you angry or bitter when you're not acknowledged for your achievements or contributions? What about this? 
when a person or situation does not meet my expectations. I expected this person to do this. I expected this situation to be like this, and it's not. How dare they? How dare he? I'm angry or bitter when I don't get what I am owed. I earned that. That's mine. I'm in control of that. How about this? I'm angry or bitter when someone has someone or something better than what I have. Why do they get that size of a house? Why do they get to drive that kind of car? Why does their spouse treat them that way and my spouse does not treat me this way? I told you it's quiet. I'm angry or bitter when those around me don't immediately comply with my outlook. This is what I think should happen. This is my view of this political situation. This is what I think about this. Oh, oh you disagree? How dare you disagree with me? Don't, don't you know how intelligent I am? Don't you know that I have everything put together? How dare you disagree with me? You get angry or bitter when someone doesn't immediately comply with your outlook. Here's another one. I'm angry or bitter when those around me do not immediately comply with my outlook. That was the last one. Here's what I want us to see. Listen to this. The reason you are angry or bitter is because those things threaten your illusion of control. Every single one of those things that we just listed is a way that threatens your illusion of control. To think that you're in control of that situation, that you're in control of that relationship, that you're in control of that, that thing going on at your work. And when those things happen to you, you are angry or bitter because your illusion of actually being in control over those situations is being threatened. That's why you're angry, and that's why you're bitter. I need to get back to the text before y'all fire me. Verse 16. Then Mimukin said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. <laughs> he takes a marital dispute between two people, and now all of a sudden, this thing is a matter of national security. She disobeyed you, king? How dare... Not, only, not just against you, king, but she has offended every, the whole nation. I mean, this, this is a real problem, king, is what he is saying. Now, why does he think it's such a big deal? Why does he think this is a matter of, of national importance? Verse 17 and 18. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard the queen's behavior, will say the same thing to the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. <laughs> now, if you want to know what I think, uh, I, I think uh, Mimikin also has some issues at home. That, I think that's a part of what's happening here. But what he's afraid of is the noble women getting the backbone that Vashti had and standing up to their husbands, and then all the women in all the provinces everywhere standing up to their husbands, and, and it's going to be, what is he? He says, contempt and wrath and plenty. I mean, this is like the sky is falling. You know, we're all, I mean, if this isn't like drunk behavior, I don't know what is. I mean, this is, it's absolutely 
insane. Now, his fear, listen to this. This is what is so funny. If you understand what's happening in the story, it's really funny. So his fear is that word would get out about Vashti's behavior and that all the women in all the provinces would stand up to their husbands. That's what he's worried about. His solution? <laughs> if it pleased the king, let a royal order go out from him to be written in the law of the Medes and the Persians so that it may not be repeated, that Vash, repealed, that Vashti is never again to come. His solution, so that the word doesn't get out, is to send out a royal decree to everybody. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, that's, I don't think you're accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish. If you're trying to keep this thing quiet, the solution probably would not be sending out a royal decree to all of the provinces to be written in the law of the Medes and the Persians so it'd never be repealed. Listen to this. That Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give a royal position to another who is better. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. Now, the first reason that this is funny is because the plan is to kind of keep this thing hush-hush so that all the women everywhere don't grow a backbone. And the response is to send out a royal decree to all the provinces. The second reason that this is funny is because the decree includes not allowing Vashti to do what she didn't want to do. <laughs> so he says, come over here, baby. You know, I want to see you. And she's like, I ain't going over there. And he says, fine, then you can't come over here. Like, that's, that's, that's the scene. That's what's happening. It's, it's funny. It's insane to, to understand that she, like, she's getting what she wanted. She didn't want to deal with a drunk Xerxes. And so he says, well, fine, then you can't deal with me. That, that's, his, that, that's the solution here. The third reason that this is absolutely absurd and silly is that these drunk men think that they can send out a command that will gain them respect in their homes. Come on, men. How often are we pointing our wives to Ephesians 5? You have to submit to me. You have to submit. It's what the Bible says. Instead of day by day sacrificing our own personal comfort to serve our wives, to show them what Christ is like and therefore gaining their respect. Okay, nobody wants to hear me preach that. I'll move on. I'll move on. Now, here's what I want you guys to see. If you're taking notes, I said this last week and we'll say it again. In the book of Esther, God does not work through the visible hand of miracles, but his invisible hand of providence. That's what's happening here. God is using this council of fools to do his will. I mean, that's how powerful God is. He can use a council of fools to execute his judgments. If the king is sober, then maybe he would not have made this ridiculous request to parade his wife. If Vashti would have been in a different state of mind that day, maybe she would have complied to it. Minukin would have had half a brain, then maybe he wouldn't have made such ridiculous suggestions. And if the king could think for himself, maybe he wouldn't have agreed to this ridiculous idea. So this is so important. If you want to understand the sovereignty of God, this, what I'm about to say next, is so important for us to understand. God did not cause or stop Xerxes from getting drunk. This is so important. 
God did not cause or stop Xerxes from getting drunk. God did not cause or stop him from seeking to exploit his wife. God did not cause or stop him from getting bad counsel. God did not cause or stop him from kicking his wife out of the Persian Empire, but God used every single one of those actions to execute his will. That's how God does. If you're taking notes, the Bible teaches God's sovereignty and human responsibility. This is how the Bible presents it to us. It shows us that God is sovereign over all, yet he is never wicked or evil in any of his doings or dealings. He is sovereign over all, yet he is never evil, wicked, or sinful in his doings or dealings. He controls everything to its final extent, and humans are responsible for every single action, sin that we walk in. Pastor Kirk, how do those two things go together? That seems very contradictory. I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Verse 21 and 22. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mimukin proposed and sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. The edict says every man needs to be in control. That's what it says. There is this man who has obviously lost control, and his reaction and response is to send out an edict to every man everywhere to be in control. Do you see how ridiculous this is? Do you see how silly this whole scene and situation is? Every man, and what's interesting, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. So th this is a multicultural kingdom, is it not? I mean, it's a very vast kingdom. It's a multicultural kingdom. And so the language of the man in the house is what's most important. Even if the wife speaks a different language, doesn't matter. He is to say and proclaim that he is in control of his house in his own language. That's what, that's what he wanted them to say. Again, if you're taking notes, jot down Proverbs 21.1. It says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You know what that means for us, church family? It, it means that when everybody is freaking out about government, when everybody's freaking out about the election, guess what? God's hand is able to turn the hearts of kings like a stream. Now, this passage, if we understand it rightly, should bring us great peace and great hope. If we understand this passage rightly, it should bring us great peace and great hope. Again, imagine yourself being a Jewish person living in this Persian empire during this time and hearing that Queen Vashti gets kicked out and you don't, it doesn't even register in your mind. Does, doesn't, re, okay, who cares what pagan kings do in faraway lands? I don't care. And yet, we know what happens in the story. A decree gets sent out that all Jewish people should be killed. And all of a sudden, you're looking to this government who now has a queen in place who is Jewish and who will fight for you and for your people. If you're taking notes, before we are even aware of the problem, 
God's providence is at work. Before we even know it's an issue. It's like the, the situation pops up in our life. The, this thing happens. We get fired from our job because the company is downsizing and we're going, oh my, what am I going to do? God's already been at work at that. God's hidden hand of providence has already been moving. If you're looking at a broken marriage, if you're looking at a rebellious child, if you're wondering where your next paycheck is going to come from, God has already been at work on that. He's already been moving. He's already been putting things in place because he has your best interest in mind. God loves you and he is preparing a future for you for your good. Amen? This is what God is doing. So I don't know what you are facing this morning. I don't know what you're going to face next month. I don't know what you're going to face in six months. But God's already at work. God's hand is already moving. God's already changing the hearts of people so that he can prepare a way for you, for your good, for your benefit. This is the God in which we serve. Here's what I want you to see. You see, Xerxes may have held control over 127 provinces, but Jesus' power and control is universal and it is unstoppable. Jesus has the power to command the wind, the waves. Jesus has the power to command demons and disease. Jesus has the power to bring dead people back to life. The power of the Persian empire was a facade, but the power and control of the kingdom of God is a fact. Here's what I want you to see. Xerxes constant motivation was his own glory and his own pleasure but jesus constant motivation is our good and god's glory xerxes sends his servant to fetch his bride to be brought to him but jesus puts on human flesh and comes to die for his bride xerxes sought to exploit his bride like an object but jesus truly loves and cherishes his bride the church and will one day clothe her with white and present her without wrinkle spot or blemish Xerxes is an evil king who banished his bride from the kingdom, but Jesus is the good king who always remains faithful to his bride. Xerxes tried to get glory for himself based on the beauty of Vashti, but Jesus deserves all the glory for our beauty because he has taken poor, wretched, ugly, broken, and sinful sinners and made us beautiful, justified, sanctified, and one day glorified. I want to talk to the person this morning. This is the last thing I'm going to say. I want to talk to the person this morning who is desperately seeking to get control over a painful situation in your life. You know who you are. I know some, some of the people I'm talking to, but I bet there's more. Right now, you're desperately trying to gain control over a painful situation in your life. It's causing you anxiety. It's causing you fear. It's causing you to lose sleep. I want you to hear me. God is in control. God is in control of that situation. And what he is requiring from you right now is not that you gain control, but that you give over to him your trust. That's what it's about. The struggle for control centers in a place where we do not trust God. We do not trust his plan for our past, what happened to us. We do not trust him for our future. We do not trust him with our children. And therefore, that's why we're trying to gain control because we do not trust. I call you to repent this morning. Turn that situation over to God and ask him to give you 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to trust him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the person I was just speaking to. Send your Holy Spirit now in a powerful way to touch their heart. Lord, I pray that the anxiety of trying to gain control over that situation would wash away right now. I pray that the fear would wash away right now. And Lord, your Holy Spirit would send them a sense of safety, of hope for the future, all basing in a trust in you and your plan and your will for their life. Would you do that miraculous work now in the hearts of the people of Gospel Community Church? We praise you, King Jesus. We ask all these things in that same name, the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.